Hello all and welcome back to the Cherryton School Report, a Beastars podcast. I am your host, Sabrina Ray, and joining me once more, once more with feeling, is my better half, Don Munson. Better half? Don, we have arrived. Yeah, you're my better half. <clears throat> Usually, it is the lady who is the better half, for various obvious I, reasons. I am obviously advanced <laughs> in the whole gender relations department. You have transcended. Don, we have arrived at the end of season one, and though we could have expected to return in 2021 under normal circumstances, the new coronavirus has mucked with the schedule, and there's been no definite word on when we'll get season two. At least I'm <sighs> confident it will arrive at some point, although the suspense is already um, paining me. It It is the least of our worries right now, <laughs> because suppose. it is literal... Little fire and brimstone out there right now. Um, Anarchy in the streets. Anarchy in the streets. Uh, You couldn't ask for a more uh, tumultuous uh, celebration of the Cherryton School Reports uh, season finale. (laughs) Yes, since we haven't been following this long. So for our esteemed audience, uh, I think it's worth pointing out that it is June 3rd. and there have been uh, a lot of protests in the streets um, throughout the United States, also internationally, but more more critically, um, there's been rioting, there's been looting, there's been massive police presences. And that's not really the focus of this uh, podcast, is yeah, it? Yeah, so let's get right into it, because there's a lot to talk about in these last two episodes. There is. It was... I, I felt a little like I was at the tail end of the whip. The tail end of the whip, you say? <laughs> I do. I, I said it out loud with, with my mouth. Okay, so let's discuss that. But before we decide, before, we, before you tell me what tail end of the whip feels like, I think it probably stings. But um, let's set up this episode. So uh, Legoshi has been out all night with Haru and he's basically disappeared and his dorm mates are kind of wondering where he's at and uh, when you're setting this up you're setting up episode 11 to the neon district correct Um, thank you yes episode 11 to the neon district basically the same uh, title as the Japanese except the Japanese adds the summer neon district so there's a seasonal right. aspect to some of these uh, episode titles, I guess. Um, episode 11 sets is pretty much uh, starts off with um, that baboon um, resident... What are they? Resident advisor? I don't know what to call her. Um, uh, I, I think I referred to her as a headmistress. Yeah. Um, um, because we've already got the, the big blue ostrich would that be the right way to that's how the episode starts with the big blue ostrich saying oh you're missing somebody too and then says guys i gotta go and then wanders off uh and then then actually we cut to everybody walking in and beetle is dead oh yeah (laughs) in japanese kabuchang which is exactly what would translate to beetle uh tragedy indeed strikes munson we had to say goodbye to our poor little beetle i wondered if it was foreshadowing 
Oh, I I thought the same thing um, because his pers- uh, Legoshi's pursuit of the rabbit has cost him his beloved beetle, and we don't even get to see him uh, react to it yet uh, or at all, really. No, we, we're never going to see that. I, I, sorry if that's a spoiler to anyone listening. His love, uh, but <laughs> his love may have killed that beetle. That may be the first of many things uh, that his love will ultimately destroy consume yeah consume also the complete lack of care (laughs) i don't know about the lifespan on beetles but generally it's not super long well it was a rescue beetle (laughs) he rescued the beetle well now that is foreshadowing right he was nursing it back to health but the the other point he he rescues the beetle but also he points out that it's really a it's a one-way street the beetle can never fully choose to be happy with him because there's such an imbalance of power. Yeah. So that's that's the the constant tension that we've seen throughout the the concern that Legoshi has that he's just so much more um, so much more forceful a being than Haru could ever be that she'll never have the free agency that that the true love would require. Right. When he's talking about the beetle, uh, when he rescues it, he has these lines that may as well be about Haru. He says, I'm doing it for myself. An animal like me can never get close the distance between such a fragile thing and myself. Um, and he still, he still th- seems to be thinking about what Haru said to him, that he would never understand what it was like being a hair's breadth away from death. As long as he's a carnivore, he'll never be able to understand her. her. Um, and those words become a kind of fatal obsession. So I thought that was very Fatal obsession. So it was an interesting point you you raise when Haru says, you know, you'll never understand this or you'll never understand being that close to death. But in reality, you know, it's not all um, ice cream and lollipops for your predators out there in the, the wild. Um and I think the you know we cut from this beetle scene right to the fight with the lion boss, um, which is very. Uh, I, let me just say I thought the action sequence was beautifully um, choreographed, and I, I I appreciated the animation of it all. It was gruesome. It was violent. Um, it was a little stylized as well. Yeah, and he takes Goheen's advice, finally. So we've seen him hold back in all of his other fights, but he has this sort of um, breakout moment where he turns his back on his pacifism and his gentle nature, and um, that he has, up until this point, sort of kept as his pride, and he unleashes the beast, he says, these nails are for you. These fangs are for you. I'll be your beast. And um, and he sinks his fangs, finally, into his opponent's neck. And at first I thought he ripped out his throat, but apparently he only half killed him. Yeah, I, well, he didn't... He causes him to pass out, I guess. Um, that's his solution. And we do kind of see this from Haru's perspective, that uh, that this is the wolf, and... Even in that moment, Lagoshi's like kind of concerned whether she could ever tame this beast that he's become. I mean, he's terrifying looking, is what I'm trying to say. Well, but he he says up front, like you may not want to watch this because 
I'm going to be a terrifying creature. She seems fairly unperturbed by the whole thing. Um, and I, you know, as the third party here, I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to the action in some context. Like, this is this is the point. We've been waiting for him to tap into his latent abilities. Um, otherwise, as a big floofy wolf that doesn't ever really act on himself, he seems like he's got plenty of untapped potential. Uh, but here he's letting himself, he's letting the fur fly. Yeah, and as much as I would say she's not perturbed by it, um, I would say she sort of recognizes in this moment what his sacrifice is and what um, the, the, the amazing selfless and crazy act that he has done in order to save this, this one life. Also, he looks like Bruce Willis a little. Uh, I wouldn't have Bruce Willis. Drenched that, in blood. I, fair enough. Um, he <laughs> kind of yeah, a diehard so moment. <laughs> oh, you're dating yourself, but it is a it is a good movie. It's a Christmas movie. <laughs> it's a big debate about that. I think you've been watching too much Brooklyn Nine Nine. Probably. Um, she takes his paw and he pulls her into sort of an embrace. On the the ground of things, Lagoshi is victorious. It feels, and I, I think we sort of underestimate the whole consequence of the thing because it was Lagoshi and the panda against a gang of twenty <laughs> lions, and they appear to have emerged victorious. And although I don't know what happened to Goheen. Otherwise unscathed, it appears that Goheen escaped because there's these neatly tied up bundles of lions that you can see on the the pathway out. Um, and it seems unlikely that Goheen would have had the opportunity to tie them all up and then run off to do something else. Um, or, or, you know, summarily be executed after that. Uh, he must have made his escape, but it does beg the question as to why he didn't go and <laughs> make sure that... Uh, Lagoshi had been successful in his escapades. Well, he could have been injured, but you make a really good point in that why did Goheen... <laughs> is he just a romantic? Like, what? why did he go so far for a wolf he just met against the odds that are so against him? Yeah, This it's... is obviously something that goes on in this world, and it's obviously something he has until this point kind of tolerated. Um... Why now? I mean, you got me, uh, is <laughs> what I have to say to that. Like, <laughs> I, I can think of no, I have no good ideas as to why, why he was being so selfless, why he engaged in the fight, and then why he disappeared like a ghost afterward. And then we get the, the iconic scene, and of course this is, this is probably the most critical scene that we will evaluate, um, in my opinion up until the end of the series of the first season, um, which is that the lion mm -hmm. still has, uh, is still alive. Lagoshi did not go for the kill. Yes. And he's sighting in Lagoshi with his handgun. And who arrives on the scene? Louis shows up and puts a gun in the lion's mouth and makes the statement, I won't let you meddle with her ever again. Now, this is interesting. Like, in the next part of this, he gets crazy and he says, beg for your life, cry, plead for forgiveness. But the lion 
if he's begging for his life, which we assume, we can probably assume he is, can't because he has a gun in his mouth and everything he says is kind of muffled by this steel that's pushing against his uh, upper palate, right? <laughs> Uh, Louis was always going to execute him, and Louis gets a nice little brassy jazz moment, I think, uh, which I think you probably noted and loved. Um, And he says some really emo things. What a pity. There's no saving grace in this world. I'll melt into darkness. Um, You know, it's funny. The, The English dub is just much different. It's less stylized. I won't say much different, but it's... It, I, I get less of the, I don't know, Shakespearean flourish that seems to come with uh, the, the Japanese element. I mean, he definitely says, I'm going to melt into darkness. Yeah, yeah. well, he also says, like, if I recall, like, take me, or, you know, I'm I'm number four. Yes, <laughs> he goes as food item number four, basically. <laughs> it's interesting that he was number four. Like, uh, are they, are we up into the hundreds now? Like, lions need to eat pretty frequently. Oh, I mean, why would they even... Like, think about how a deli operates. You get, like, a number, and then it rotates back to zero the next day. Yeah, I guess. I, uh, maybe it's that's how it works. And I was wondering about that, because it just doesn't otherwise make sense. But then it takes a lot of the... Um, a lot of the the dramatic punch out when you say I'm number four, which is like saying I'm a weed on rye, right? As opposed to like, I'm number four of all the numbers of the things that you had uh, to consume. Right. Um, I don't know if it takes away from it. I think, I think it's a pretty powerful statement. And he also, I mean, we've, we now understand a little bit better the context of the scene where he puts his hand into Lagoshi's mouth and tells him to bite down. Because he basically says here, devour me gratefully. I'm small and weak, but I guarantee I'm tasty. Don't leave anything but the antlers. Like, yeah. this is, he is just snapped. Um, yeah, well, but, def- I agree with that. He definitely had snapped. And then, of course, the camera pans away. And, not to spoil it, but we don't see Louis again. No, we don't. And I don't know what that means yet, but there is some hint that it might be him that uh, that is that is alluded to in the very final scene of the two episodes. But I don't want to get there yet. Um, All right, that's fair. We can we can get there when we get there. But I, can we go um, back for one quick second to um, sure uh, the part where he said, uh, "I won't let you meddle with her ever again," because to me that says that he that I was wrong in the last episode and that he did intend to do something to stop them from hurting her. Um, and you thought that he was going to originally. And I'm just curious, like when you hear this statement, like what do you, what do you think he means by that? Do you think that he's, that he considers Haru his weakness and, um, therefore he feels like this was a attempt to control him or this was a personal attack on him? Or is he just saying, like, kind of a generic, like, you won't hurt, like, the weak You won't hurt innocent. anybody ever again. Right. Yeah. So I definitely took it for the for the latter, for the, the weak and innocent. He was standing up for the downtrodden herbivores. Um, to the extent that she is the epitome of 
downtrodden, weak herbivorism, then you know he can reference her as a as a proxy. But I, yeah. I didn't I didn't personally feel that it was a declaration of love. Um, I I did find it a little weird, you know. This sort of imply in some ways it implies they messed with her before and then currently, but will never do it again. Um, but I presume there's only the one episode where she's been kidnapped and was at the point of being violated and eaten. Right, and most likely there wasn't another like character like that who was in his life who was eaten or anything like that, because that was not even alluded to. I mean, with with Louis, I no longer know. It's interesting that... <laughs> Louis, had a, Louis had a rough start to the old life. It's interesting the parallels between sort of Louis becoming and, and Lagoshi's becoming, because Lagoshi becomes this bloodthirsty beast who could be absolutely repellent to Haru from all the evidence we've seen so far in the series. Um, including, when I say repellent, I mean, I'm, I sort of, I guess that sort of includes wanting to feed herself to him. Um, but Louis sort of dirties his hands. He does the thing that even Lagoshi can't, and nobody's there to see it. And he becomes something else, sort of uh, an avenging psycho in the darkness who's going to make sure that things like this get taken care of how they're supposed to. I mean, I, I wrote myself, you know, you've got Lagoshi who is victorious, but passing out, you know, he's being dragged away. Meanwhile, the person who's actually got the stones to execute uh, the, the, the kill stroke is Louis. Right, but Louis's Louis's role in this is more thankless, I would say, because Lagoshi did it on the surface. Uh Haru, he's not maybe he hasn't won Haru's um heart exactly, but he's going to get the reward of being her being her hero. Lagoshi was performative and the audience of one who is Haru, you know, it's been a compelling performance. While as if Louis is quote-unquote performing, he does it for no audience and does not reap any of the adulation that one might expect. On the other hand, I it, it, it's an interesting trope, the idea that, you know, Haru is the, sorry, not Haru, um, Lagoshi is the white knight riding in to rescue the, the princess. I mean, you can, there's all sorts of different... Um, setups but that's the that's the one i'm going to choose here that you know he he's coming in to save the distressed damsel and yeah he is yeah. uh but, but his happy ending he, would have been cut short if louis hadn't done what was absolutely necessary and taken the step that lagoshi was unwilling to take but that also paints lagoshi with sort of a tainted brush in that he has gone beyond he has now murdered this guy. I mean, I suppose that wouldn't have meant as much to Louis, who would, I guess, killing whole rooms of carnivores at the I mean, you know, at the ripe age of five. But for Lagoshi, that would have been a that would have ruined him in some way. So this is interesting. Is Lagoshi getting the credit in Haru's eyes for killing the lion boss? And is that meaningful? While as mm. he doesn't kill the lion boss, 
and you know either doesn't suffer the loss of credit for not having done it or doesn't suffer the added credit of having the you know basically showing the restraint that you wouldn't normally expect from a carnivore like to me it was it was kind of a weird thing like did he lose something by appearing to be the guy who killed the lion or did he lose something by being the guy who didn't kill the lion and then didn't show that he has the restraint um that one i couldn't quite unpack i think that that could come up eventually um but the immediate effect is that he he definitely has won haru's He's he's won her over with his his white knight. This gets back to Beetley, in my opinion. Like, yeah, he may have he may have rescued Haru, but she doesn't. You know, she's so small and and unable to exert free will that mm. you know has he really truly won her over? So the next scene, and, she it sees them together and she thanks him and it sort of ties up the loose ends of this story together with a narrative that fits. But, um, you know, she interrupts him. He interrupts her because he needs to feed. And I like that because um, there, I was always, I, my daughter has a lizard and it's a crested gecko and she pulled his tail off. And I needed to reassure her about something about the crested gecko because um, it was escaping. She grabbed it by the tail. It it ejected its its tail as it would when a predator grabs it. But the unique thing about the crested gecko is that it cannot uh, grow back its tail once it's shed. It then has sort of like what they call a frog butt or a nubby butt. It's um, it it decides. It makes a decision. On a, on a biological level, that the expensive energy, the biological expensive energy to grow a new tail is worth more than the actual act of having a tail. A tail... You lost me there at the end. So it it can choose whether to regrow its tail it or... Doesn't, it doesn't choose on an individual level. It has chosen evolutionarily that um, it's better to just not grow another tail than to spend the massive amount of biological energy it costs to build a new one. Um, I assume because its its balance is better, or once it's lost its tail, it's kind of like, hey, I guess I don't need a tail. I don't know. But, like, it's interesting to me that it ha- there's been a decision on some genetic level that it that it that it's better to move forward than to try and make another tail. And here we see Lagoshi just, he is completely, achingly empty. And he eats like six times as much as Haru to sort of rebuild that biological energy he expended. Well, to be fair, he was always going to eat six times as much as she would. In fighting the lion, but he is so hungry. Not he just can't the even... lion, like the 20 lions. Right. He can't even think straight. Um, and we get a really important... I, I thought of this as vitally important information, which is the first time I think he's mentioned his grandfather. It's in the context of him hiding money in his shoe, uh, which seems like a really big detail. And it's something that his grandfather used to tell him to do when he was small. Um, we don't know his background hardly at all. 
but that's something you don't do unless you expect to be robbed or you expect that there's going to be some sort of dangerous element to your life where you're not sure who you can trust, even among those that you think you can trust. I love the way you read into that. It's sort of an idea that you have to expect the worst of people around you, or animals in this case, and you have to be prepared for anything. I suppose, but it also, not to second guess you because you have a much more a, a, a fully realized vision and a romanticized vision, but you could also just totally be forgetful and leave your wallet places and therefore need to <laughs> store money on yourself in case of emergencies. Right. But one thing that was brought up to us in our Discord, where we were having a conversation with a variety of um, listeners and Beastars fans, was the idea that perhaps we should be viewing this show from a lens of intersectionality. And I thought that was an interesting place to sort of examine that, because if... If the way that I'm looking at it is true, that it is sort of, um, it's the same idea that my grandmother, when we would go to restaurants, would always take uh, all of the salt pepper packets and ketchup packets and the crackers that came with her soup, and she would put them in her purse, and she would wrap up a a roll into some uh, paper and put it in her purse because she lived through a time when they didn't have anything. So uh, if his grandfather lived at a time when carnivores uh, were had a far more uh, difficult time adjusting into society and uh, it was more of a dog-eat-dog world, perhaps. Um, or it could be a, a power imbalance. You know, sure. we've talked a lot about the fact that what are carnivores getting out of this? It, it wouldn't, you know, if you think about it, an unfettered carnivore um, situation where uh, the herbivores are running around in terror all the time. Yeah, that sounds terrible, but it's possible that the power imbalance was the other way, that it was the carnivores who were constantly, you know, kept on the outskirts because they were too dangerous to keep around and they were, people wouldn't allow them or the herbivores wouldn't allow them to participate in a more organized society. And so they were more vagabonds and outcasts until they came to some sort of detente. Right. And that also gives us information that Lagoshi was raised by his grandfather, so it does beg the question, what happened to his mom and dad? And we don't have an answer at all. No, and we have very, very little information about anybody who would be considered a parent. And in fact, when the headmistress did make herself known, the baboon headmistress, you know, you see very few adults, really. There's a couple, but... Um, but in general, you don't... You know, the teenagers are really sort of acting on their own in a lot of contexts. Right. Haru talks about... She says, you know, this is one of the most treasured moments of her life. Yes. I thought that was kind of weird because the whole thing is gruesome and bloody and crazy. I guess it's the fact that somebody was willing to pull out all the stops for her. Yeah, that's how I interpreted it, too. Um and I like that it's just sort of a mundane scene that she that she zeroes in on. You mm-hmm. know, I don't think she's I don't think she's specifically trying to remember the the gory uh, dance macabre that happened upstairs in the at the top floor of the um, hideout of the. Right. Shishibu. So she doesn't want to remember that. She doesn't want to remember being almost violated by the evil 
a line boss. She doesn't want to have to remember writing her last will and testament in her head. Right. She doesn't want to remember being ogled. What then is left? Eating yakisoba. Watching the wolf that saved her. The man that saved her. And gave her back her life. Her miserable life. Whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, there is a, a strong dichotomy here, I feel, in, in these contexts. But okay. Okay. That's that's one of the most special moments of her life. And then they realize they can't take the train home. And they have to go to a love hotel. A love hotel. I wonder what that would be like. Oh, my God. You Listener, <laughs> listen to this. Don and I were in Japan. And I had all these plans. Um, he got off the plane and I basically took him to a J-pop concert where he had right. no clue what was Let, going let's on. Let's just set the scene. I decided... Or we decided that I would come visit you. You were doing um, a year or two study abroad in Japan. Yes. And I had a spring break and I said, I will come and visit you in Japan. It'll be awesome. Um, I'll get to see all sorts of things. You'll be my personal tour guide tour guide, because I speak not a word of Japanese. Exactly. Um, and so, yes, that was the So that I, was I the whisked plan. him off to a J-pop concert. We spent some time in Tokyo. Um, we went to... I had a plan that we were just going to stay up all night in an arcade because we love um, game centers, as they're called there. Um, and they have amazing ones, like just bank after bank of fighting games, which Don Man, I wonder loves. what it would be like now. I mean, it's been literally decades. <laughs> I know. I don't know how they've survived because the the quality of the graphics and stuff is worse in the arcade now than it is on your home console that you can play with your friend across the country. But back then, they were the shit, and there was a whole floor dedicated to Purikura, which are the little print club stickers where you can, like, put yourself with your friends and take lots of, like, photos, except they were, like, taken to a whole other level in Japan. Um, That was... Remember Pepsi Man? Yeah, uh, like, you know, it, it was a super fun time, but, but also crazy. My plan, and my plan totally backfired because they closed everything at like eight o'clock, and we were like, "What are we supposed to do?" And so, no, it was later than that. With, that was the problem. If it would have been eight o'clock, we could have been like, "Well, we'll." It was like ten thirty or maybe eleven. I thought it closed earlier, and then we were that, like, but, "Oh, yeah. what are we gonna do?" Because it was too late to take a train to go anywhere. The trains were, like, closed, which I didn't fully understand, and you didn't either. Like, no. we're like, there's there's literally nowhere we can go now because no, there's, we the, there's no transportation. We were stuck so, in the love district. <laughs> and where did we have to go? Oh, my God. We went to a, um, we went to a love hotel, and we spent the night. We did. But first we went to a love hotel, and we went in. And you explained to the proprietress that we were going, that we needed a room, and we were just going to sleep there. And she came out and said, oh, your Japanese is lovely. But we don't allow two men to sleep together. Yes, at the so, time I had, this was pre-transition. That's true. So. And and she was very complimentary of your Japanese, but she was very clear, like, that's not happening. But you should go down the street. These people uh, allow that. Right. So then, we but went then I down went down the street. the street, and it didn't seem like they were going to allow it. They asked if the woman behind, if the person behind me, was a woman, and I just said, "Yes, she is." <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
man. And so they let us stay. And um, it was, it had mirrored mirrored walls, mirrored ceiling. The bathroom was enormous. It was like oh. as big as the bedroom. I considered briefly sleeping in the bathtub, but Don insisted that I join him in the bed. Well, the bed was huge. We had plenty of room. It was, and yet we still were like no homo. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I mean, gosh, what was this? 1999? Yeah. So, uh, it's. I'm glad we are a more enlightened society now. But yes, people were. Uh, there, there was. I mean, I, I was not interested in cuddling. We actually had to like go through a phalanx of prostitutes to get to the love hotel, if I recall. Like there were. I love that you call it a phalanx of prostitutes. I don't know if there's ever been a more perfect word ser- series of words uttered in the English language. I mean, that's what it was. Like we were. Because they, it was closing time, and everybody was like running off to places, and the prostitutes were like, "Oh, this is our last chance of the evening." And there were definitely people who were looking at us um, as our on our way to the love hotels. Yes, what he's referring to is that um, we could have gotten into any of the love hotels if we just hired a prostitute. But could we have because gotten in there with like been... two guys, one girl? I, I didn't. They really would ask. have opened up all of the doors. <laughs> oh well, we did not do that. We were saving our okay, money for we're video games. Super sidetracked. But well, now, what's so but... fascinating about this is I, you must have busted a gut laughing when you first saw this scene and you realized that we would be discussing it together on the podcast. Because I did, I totally did, and I was I was willing to just be like, "What happened in Tokyo stays in Tokyo." But I mean, I'm glad we went to the phalanx of prostitutes levels of deep dive. Jory, have you ever watched the anime called One Piece? Yeah, Joe. I watched for a podcast that we do. B- what? You know, we are watching One Piece. I started watching it so you could rewatch it, and then we talk about it sometimes. I-, I have I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, we don't do it super frequently. Once a month at best. Did, did you forget? We analyze the story and discuss the show's themes, characters, compare it to other media, and how it provides an allegory for real-life politics and events. I, I must have forgotten. What, where can I listen to remind myself? You can listen at the Orange Groves Podcast Network or search for We Are Watching One Piece in your favorite podcast app. What's a podcast? Hi, I'm Caitlin. And I'm Joe. Sugar We're Going Down podcasting is exactly what it sounds like. Each week, we get a random Fall Out Boy song and discuss it in various ways, such as... What are its merits musically? Is it a bop? Does it have chugs? It's lyrical complexity. Sometimes Pete writes a triple entendre, and sometimes he doesn't even finish the first entendre. Does the video make any goddamn sense, though? Usually, no. How gay does it make us feel? Usually, a lot of gay. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your personal podcatcher of choice and get a new episode every Wednesday until it kills us. Caitlin, is this more than you bargained for yet? Honestly, it already is. <laughs> the experience was very similar to what 
um, Legoshi and Haru go through, actually, with like going up, and then I, I think there was something where um, <laughs> there was it was very odd. Like Legoshi was also like, "Oh, we shouldn't do this because I'm like, I, all my manly instincts are on point right now." I was like, "Dude, are you apologizing for wanting to sleep with <laughs> with Haru?" Like, what a weird. Uh, weird position to take as you guys move towards the love hotel. You know, I knew I was transgender when I went into the love hotel with you. Like, I knew I was something. <laughs> I knew I had those proclivities. So, it was a little more awkward for me, maybe. Oh, I'm sure it was, because I, I... It was not awkward for me, per se. My only concern, I was like, I'm really tired. We're gonna need to find a place to crash. Also, that's a bad plan. Like, I probably shouldn't have planned to stay at an arcade all night. Yeah, in retrospect, we were early 20-something kids, and early 20-somethings, well, you can buy alcohol and go to war. You really are a child and don't know what the heck is going on <laughs> in the world. Um, apologies for any <laughs> yes. listeners who are of that age and take offense at the statement, um, but you will probably feel differently later in life uh, with a little more wisdom under your belts. And maybe you'll find yourselves in Japan thinking you're just going to stay up all night in the arcade and find out that you cannot. Um, since we're going to skip over uh, the stuff that happens back at the dorm with the dorm mother, oh, yeah. let's get into the love hotel right now. Um, he's in male mode, you said. His tail is standing erect, whatever we want to say that means. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty much sure that it's just a euphemism and it's not his tail, it's standing erect. Haru's like, no matter what you do tonight, you can't do anything wrong, hero. <laughs> I know, they were they were seriously, like, the, the, the innuendo was hot and heavy. And Lagoshi imagines himself on an escalator of lust. Just suddenly, he's gone from very slowly going up this escalator, from going slowly up the staircase to just on a rocket ride to the top. I know. Although I didn't think an escalator was really the right... Like, he's like, there's so many floors I needed to torture myself on or something. There was some something related to that. And I was like, whoa, dude, what a messed up way of thinking about it. Oh, I felt bad for him. Yes, and he's sweating, his throat's dry. But then he leans in for a kiss and Haru backs off. So there was a couple of things. First of all, Haru, and like, he's like, oh, so do you come to love hotels? And she's like, yeah, um, which I thought was kind of a... A fun nod at her past there like you know Haru doesn't make doesn't mince words about the fact that um, she gets around uh, which is why I find it funny that she's otherwise demure and innocent in a lot of ways but I mean she's not she's not at the end of the day when it comes to uh, sexual experience um, and we actually need that to be reinforced to us because yes. the show as much as it claims to be sort of like adult versions and i have to enter my netflix adult password in order to watch these things really there's i mean there's certainly sexual situations but there's no like hardcore bunny nudity not that i'm again not that i'm looking for that but in the sense of like you don't get you don't get all of the the seedier aspects if they're seedy at all of what Haru is out there doing and it's a little weird because as well like you know that mm -hmm. she's um sleeping with louis but the implication is it's not just louis in principle that she's sleeping with necessarily 
I mean, if she's coming to love hotels, you don't get the impression that that's what Louie's doing. They they use the the garden cottage. So we get that scene that happens in a lot of um, romance movies that get romantic where uh, they take off each other's clothes and she sees his back for the first time and there's tons of scarring. And I think it's implied that the scars are mostly from since he's been with her. But I wasn't entirely certain. Um, I know that Bill's embrace left huge marks on his back, stripes as he called them. Um, but this is the first time sort of we've seen the like physical toll that this dalliance with Haru has cost him. Did you feel that was the case? So I was less struck by that. I First of all, I did presume that it was all due to Bill. I didn't think that it was a, an accumulated set of scars. Like, he should have had scars on his side, but that would be a flesh wound from... Uh, fresh, not flesh. Fresh wound from what happened with the lion. Um, and also, he seems to be... He seems to be regenerating at uh, rates that border on um, Wolverine at this rate, uh, given that he's looking unharmed. But those scars, I thought, were were particularly from um, Bill, and so I, I I did not I did not see it as the weight of all the scarring. It was just more discovery by Haru of of Legoshi's, um fearsome body, if you will. Um, and then the next, the next set of scenes, I, I, for some, I thought that this would be a bigger deal or not be revealed in this season. But when Legoshi admits to his original sin, um, yeah, I, I wrote down that it was a touch anticlimactic, but I liked it for some reason. I was frankly happy that they were able to move past it because what I had feared was that it would become, um, this insurmountable obstacle that Legoshi would. Uh, never be able to consummate anything without articulating it, and therefore he would constantly throw up roadblocks because he felt it was impossible to articulate it. Um, and then it would cause Haru to, you know, it would it would be the it would prevent the moving forward of some romantic interlude or many many maybe per, I should say perhaps many romantic interludes because of the the betrayal, if you will. But instead, Haru is like, oh yeah, I I, I knew that. <laughs> Uh, and they moved past it pretty quickly. And yet they didn't at the same time because there's this line where she says, we're frozen in time in this pose, aren't we? So it's like, ever since that night when they were locked in what might have been lust, what might have been hunger, which our Discord describes as gluttony. I'm pretty sure that was <laughs> gluttony. I'm going to go, oh, oh no, now, now I get it. I wasn't getting it before. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It was gluttony, right? So it's gluttony plus lust. Um, they su- there's a suggestion that, that maybe they they are stuck in that, and that until there's sort of like one... The, the pendulum swings one way or the other, um, they can't really move forward out of... There's no easy way forward out of it. Um, she tells him to take the lead. Sleep with me or eat me. It's up to you. I keep thinking of that line. Remember um, the Truman Show when Laura Linney's like, slice me? <laughs> or no, she keeps doing the commercial, slices, dices. There's so many ways to use it. And then later Truman picks up the same like uh, infomercial like uh, multi-tool and he's like, slice me, 
dice me? There's so many ways you can cut me. <laughs> that was uh, very just, specific, and I don't remember all of it as an iconic movie. I'm sorry. It just it was it just reminds me of it for some certain reason. things stick in anyway, people's heads. I I understand. Anyway, that sense that Haru is going to go with whatever he wants, and then she totally doesn't. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I found that to be, first of all, she tries to leap into his mouth. Yep. Um, that one threw me for a loop. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Um, and I guess the. Here is where the Beastars world takes on its own, you know, this is its own brand of whatever it happens to be. But the, the this is gluttony, if you will. Um, and I, I, I find it a bit crude, but very effective as a descriptor for what's going on. Because apparently uh, she's into Legoshi, she's compliant and willing to go forward and yet she finds herself leaping into his mouth in order to satisfy her own desires if you will right and going against what you just said to me uh i felt like we were seeing something insurmountable between them um i wonder if they can get past it but she she describes it as the reprimand of her genes telling uh Telling her not to play with wolves. Well, now, I believe we've actually transitioned into episode 12. We're not quite there. Um, she does re-describe it in episode 12. Okay. But, yes, you, you, we're right at the cusp of episode 12 now. And um, we talked about logistically how difficult a wolf-rabbit romance might be uh, from a, you know, from a physical standpoint, physiological standpoint. But we're seeing the mental hurdle that has to be overcome here. So uh, one of the things that I find a little weird is, yes, their love is seen as forbidden. Um, or Not forbidden per se, but highly unorthodox. But I don't get the impression it's not something that, um, that could have happened before. Right? It's not so taboo that people are like, well, you know, that's simply never done. Um, although we don't, we don't see any examples of it. We don't hear anything about it, but in principle, this isn't the first time this has ever happened, right? Like this is a good time to go back to the dorm mother too, because the dorm mother seems more concerned that, um, that, that a, a carnivore is romantically with an herbivore than she is with a missing rabbit. <laughs> And and two missing charges, you know, both Lagoshi and Haru were missing. She's more concerned that they are breaking social norms than that they are actually in, like, danger. But, I mean, you look even at Gohin's reaction, which is like, oh, you know, are you sure that this is, you sure that this is for you? This, you know, you, you may be trotting down the dark path of wanting to eat all these creatures, but here's some rabbit porn to check out your desires, like... I just I I'm I'm trying to gauge how abnormal Lagoshi's crush on Haru is and just from the the certain taboo nature of yes. it actually seems to me like um it could they're they're maybe a very small but a 
a proportion of the population that uh, that is accepting and and likes this particular dynamic. I think so. Um, before we go to the next episode, to go back to the scene where we were talking about um, Lagoshi is counted out of bounds for the night by the dorm mother. Uh, she signals him out as a deviant. Uh, there's this little bit of fun where Jack's ears perk up in the most cuddly way and he gets flustered trying to protect his friend but she keeps mounting this evidence against him and then she pulls out his backpack and there's several red flags there's a book on uh, there's a book called How Carnivores and Herbivores Can Get Along uh, The Psychology Between Instinct, Instinct and Emotion I think this is meant to be these are meant to be analogs to real books about race relations. Um, there's how to make friends with smaller animals, the sign of the rabbit. Um, so, you know, his friends think he won't be doing anything unsavory. Uh, they think he'll be fine. But for me, this was all evidence that he's trying to do it right. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, he's got, it's like he's got a kink, but he's practicing safe um you know it's like somebody's into bdsm but they've they're doing it responsibly with a partner and a safe word and you know lots of lube or whatever i don't i don't know exactly what i'm talking about you're going a little crazy there munson but we were talking about black lives matter and the protests against police brutality towards the black community earlier or the people of color and um in this case, I sort of saw these books as... I've seen very similar books starting to pop up in people's feeds where they're recommending, like, reading stories about uh, race relations in order to better understand um, what role they can fill in these things and how how we can all, like, find a solution for this stuff and, and better improve our education on this material. And I feel like the world that we've been shown of Beastars, the world of the, the mayor who's changed his physical appearance in order to seem more palatable to a uh, vulnerable audience, uh, it would support the idea of him trying to make himself a better friend to uh, to the weaker biological animals. But it just seems like everybody's upset about it. Yeah, it, I agree with you there. Like, if we're trying... If he's trying to soften his appearance if he's and i by he i mean the uh the lion mayor if they're if they're willing to do that to integrate in integrate into society then part of integration would be um presumably sexual relationships across species because certainly this is a complicated issue because we talked about like well in principle, there is no viable offspring from cross-species uh, sexual activity. Yes. And presumably, since we see all these creatures, they must be, you know... Lagoshi's parents are both wolves. Um, Haru's parents are both uh, rabbits. Yes. Um, and I guess we haven't really seen a lot of relationships, per se. We've We've seen, like, high school relationships. But we haven't seen or at least we've heard the tension from them because that relates to haru well, i take it back louis and haru are are a relationship yeah we have relationships we just, we just don't have but we don't have, we don't a have examples of, of a successful relationship at all 
Nope, we're we're trapped in our own little world here. I mean, I guess Tem was trying to work up the nerve to ask out. Uh, her name escapes her right now, but the other llama. Um, else. Or alpaca. Yeah. But he never so he never was, was a, able to tell her. They didn't get together until he was dead. Fair <laughs> enough, but it was it would have been clearly a sanctioned romance. Yes, it would have been. Um, so so I'm just gonna read you this little bit that I I wrote down here. Um, I just want to know if this makes you hot. Um, Lagoshi's heart is pounding out so loud it makes Haru laugh at how she might be bounced away by it. Um, he starts feeling her chest and comparing her breast mounds to mochi, which is a nice little callback to the rabbit on the moon story. And she bristles at the oh, prodding yeah. of his long, dangerous nails. Like, were you getting into it? Be honest. Uh, honestly, no, I was not getting into it. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes, really, I'm afraid. Um, uh, I was hungry at the time, so the reference to mochi was not, in fact, distracting me from my hunger, but I was like, oh, man, mochi is delicious. Um, <laughs> and I, during that scene, so that scene was actually the one where I was like, oh, you know, now we've really gotten into some adult uh, action here. And I... Uh, I wondered how far they were going to take Second it. Second base, apparently. Um, I guess so. Although, isn't that under the shirt? Which he did not achieve. Oh, no. He only got halfway to second base. Well, he I guess he got a third of, like, three quarters of the way because he also uh, had her arm in his mouth, which I don't know which base that is, but... That's not a base. Last, I mean, maybe that's, like, an error on the field. It's a... <laughs> A bulk? I don't know. <laughs> so, oh, man. But Episode 12, they, In the Storm's Wake. Episode 12. In, yeah. So they, there was some stylized stuff happening here that did not work for me, which is the, inters, the, the lines of text followed by the scene followed by lines of text. Okay. Um, oh, well, I liked what it said. Their bodies know what their relationship should be. And then it kind of implied, but that doesn't change Lagoshi's big hard dick. <laughs> nope, it did not. Um, although, I mean, he was surprisingly uh, accepting of his blue ball state. Um, he, you know, the the whole thing was, you know, the rabbit's gene is blaming her. Loving each other is a terrible mistake. Um, it's just, it's weird because I don't. This goes back to the comment before. I don't sense the ultimate taboo that we're breaking here. But then they've got these all sorts of weird stuff happening. Her basically catapulting herself into his mouth being, I would say, weird. Um, even though she is otherwise willing to have a sexual relationship with him. Um, but then the whole thing falls apart. Very anticlimactic. Right. I don't think, like, a rabbit in nature would ever, like jump into a wolf's mouth willingly unless it were to somehow save another rabbit uh yeah that we're really i mean in general if you see this stuff it's not like i sacrifice myself to save my offspring it's usually like i will go down fighting to right save my offspring. right i don't i just don't see like i 
like it's interesting to apply sort of that romantic idea of the consumption of flesh to sure i I mean to me the the idea this is a little bit disturbing on the sexual level because they are otherwise about to engage in a sexual act and they're going to they're going to consummate their relationship and instead the the confluence of sex and um devouring uh here is a little too closely intertwined and i just don't get it like to me it's it it evokes those fantasies of people who like they get sexual gratification from the idea of being eaten um right that's a whole thing i hadn't even considered but it it's a little gross (laughs) oh yeah and so but that's i mean i i found it impossible to avoid here with with lines like my body's just trying to be eaten like mm -mm, okay uh but to me that's an unnatural act that is that is yes she keeps insisting that it's some sort of reprimand from her genes which okay i kind of get that they've broken natural order by trying to be romantic in that way but like also she just has a hang-up i guess i don't know her body knows what it's supposed to be doing that's what the implication is but i don't buy it i agree like it feels like she needs a good shrink honestly this is more maybe perhaps this is more about what it represents as a metaphor oh, i'm i'm sure but we have we have instead of it being metaphorical or psychological it's she's literally throwing her limbs into his slavering maw wait what do you mean by that what i'm saying is that it is metaphoric and it is psychological in that we are getting a physical representation of her own hurdle of trying to get over the fact that in nature a wolf would normally consume a rabbit in every case i would i would buy that if we were dealing with the sexual naive if we're dealing with somebody who's not but haru knows her way around the bedroom haru is not she knows in principle what she's trying to get out of this particular experience and so then the the only wild card is the fact that he's a predator and to well, me that's a pretty big wild card I, I'm right not but gonna then lie. but then for her to be like i don't know what's come over me basically is to me um it it, it implies the manifestation of a desire that is um that she is not otherwise experienced in all of her sexual activities so then have you seen brokeback mountain i have yes the love scenes the the scenes where they they try to be tender with each other always break down in fighting um until they don't but they're mostly violent they're mostly violent sort of um butting of heads so to speak and um it's like the body is responding like they're come it's like a representation of how they're trying to overcome the years of mental conditioning that have said that men do not be tender with other men they cannot get over that sort of masculinity uh that has they're ashamed of what they're doing they're ashamed of what they're doing but see that's the thing i don't get the sense that either of these parties are ashamed with what they're doing this is what they desire to do okay um 
then maybe ashamed isn't the right word. Maybe what I was saying when I was saying mental well, but, conditioning, but it's important. overcoming okay. mental conditioning from society, from just the way that everything has been since you were born is a huge step. And maybe Haru just hasn't taken the time yet to overcome that. Lagoshi's obviously dealing with it on a, he's, he's, we've watched him over 12 episodes, uh, wring his hands and sort of try to come to terms with his own feelings. Um, but only in the last couple has he really, really confronted head on what it means for him to love Haru. Okay. But all of the manifestations of Lagoshi's energy appear to be normal in the sense of like he wants to be with Haru he unleashes the beast but only on people that are actively attacking Haru and then when he gets with Haru he is the only way in which he is beast like is he's a little rough with her because he basically doesn't know his own strength uh, well as right. which no, isn't a bad thing I think a girl uh, likes that a little bit and, right? Sure, but his intentions are always to treat her with respect and, you know, he's he's gentle and the only... And it's not it's not Legoshi here that we're really talking about. It's Haru. I mean, Legoshi is not... If, if he were having these sort of weird psychological manifestations, then they would have to... I don't know how they would manifest, but um, if they are in the same way as Haru, then basically he would be biting her without control. While as the opposite is happening, she's tossing herself in his mouth, and he is absolutely maintaining incredible control. When he thought of her running through the meat market, he was drooling uncontrollably. <laughs> so he's had those moments. But that's not that was that, but that wasn't now. Right. But he's had those moments. Maybe she hasn't given herself time to have those moments. True, and we get we get into Lagoshi's head a lot, and we don't get into Haru's head ever. Quite or as often. Not, yeah, quite as often is the better way to phrase it. Um, we don't have the same, I would say, deep insight, because we get some of what's going on, but it's not as fully developed. And she, I don't think she realizes what this, what the repercussions of this for him are, because he he immediately goes back to doubting his in his feelings and everything not not his feelings but he's like how stupid am i to think that if i saved her she could have ever been mine uh, mine i mean to and, me this is so i i was frustrated by this because to me it's a regression of the plot right we're back to the same um dynamic tension that we well had. how could it not be though how well, could it not be a regression for him well i i'm going to step back um from it is a regression, quite literally, but it is also a regression from the idea of a of a performative narrative. Like, how does the story move forward? And um, good stories are able to, um, they've got their, they, they synthesize, they, they come to a climax or resolution, and then new tension is developed. But we are going to be moving backwards in the story to the same existing tension, which is a will they or won't they, be able to consummate the relationship and while i do think that these these scenes have been very interesting and um and explored the ideas quite a bit of what these relationships look like i do feel somewhat frustrated that we are moving back to the same tension of can they actually consummate at all um i i was i, I 
you know, I thought there were some really interesting points here, and, and we did not get bogged down in what I thought would be the deep, dark secret that he was the one that attacked her, right? I was very happy to move past that particular tension because I, I had felt in my own mind that that would be one of the things that they'd set us up so that this ultimate tension wouldn't be resolved. Um, and I can't fault the story because, you know, this is the central conceit. These are two of the main characters. How, you know, how do we, if if we allow them to resolve this tension, what then, where then do we go? And it's very difficult to come up with something that's as compelling and interesting. Um, I just hope um, as we move forward into season two, somewhere down the road, that the tension remains, um, is able to uncover new dynamics that are interesting and fresh. That's what one I'm getting. Thing, one thing that came out of this was that um, that Lagoshi seems to have not grown up in a loving environment. Um, he remarks how a living hands a living thing's hand is warm uh, a tear drips from his eye and just holding her hand is enough for him um, he doesn't seem to have had that sort of like connection with people or animals i guess uh growing up like that's just something you can kind of infer <laughs> wow that one was really bad that was, was bad. That was bad. I, it's I, something you can kind of infer I mean, from high five. the way that, that, was, that was the, way the worst that he... one we've had. <laughs> I just extended it too. I yeah, extended no, it because I knew yeah, it, it would was only terrible. work if I did that. But yeah, I thought that was something you could kind of infer from the scene where they show him reacting. But I'll move on. Um, the baboon wants to keep the whole thing secret. Lugoshi comes back. Uh, she doesn't want to have to report it because it would become a scandal. Um, and he wants her to expose the criminal conspiracy. Right, he's like, what about the Chishigumi? And, like, she she's unperturbed by that particular issue. Right, and she is so matronly. She evokes a very conservative, almost 1950s era uh dorm mother type oh yeah like, i mean it's horrible and you know it wasn't even the person who was concerned before was that um blue ostrich whoever i don't right. recall his name right like once That's again they were policing pearl themselves. clutching moment yeah with the, with the ostrich um, or a peacock is it a peacock or an ostrich i'd peacock would make more sense with the color scheme but i said ostrich simply because of the long thin neck yeah um and then we finally get juno back into the story um she shows up to check on him asks to be alone um she butters him up the best she can talking about how she knew he'd be okay because he has the strength of the wolf she pushes herself like on she's him. in heat uh, i mean she's she's gunning for it and yeah he that's is, what i wrote too he is uh he is not at all i mean he doesn't know what to make of this yeah he he kind of pulls away and and then we get this beautiful moment where uh Haru shows up she's too intimidated to go in while juno's with him but juno immediately seizes upon her and they have a little chase scene where yeah they have a foot race <laughs> did you call it a foot race I did. Yeah, it's just there's a quickening to the pace oh, that they're walking, 
and it becomes comedic in the fact that she's just being utterly pursued by Juno. And I like that um, when we first have the confrontation between them, where Haru sort of turns on the turns on the head, and she's just like she brings out that like brassy personality of hers. Um, she's on the stairs above her, so Haru actually looks more intimidating, bigger, because uh, she's at the very top of the stairs, and Juno is below her. And that's when and she pulls rank. Yeah, that's when she gets a uh, kind of haughty and and has all of her attitude. Like, aren't you being rude to someone you just met? I'm a I'm Haru, a senior, and you are. And yep. I mean, that's the one. That's the Haru that I've kind of fallen in love with as a character. You know, she's totally ferocious. Who pulls no punches? Yeah, pulls no punches. Haru is is the changeling of characters because at any one point she could be totally forceful, and at another one she could be totally passive. Um, I guess it's a mirroring of of what you see in um, Ligoshi, who. In principle, when he quote-unquote unleashes the beast, he's totally aggressive, but in all other respects, he's trying to be as passive as possible. But for him, it feels more natural, or at least to me, it feels more natural than it does in the, the Haru sense. With Haru, she's explained it as this crippling anxiety of, you know, you don't know with the fear that you could always be eaten the next day. But I, I wish that Haru would manifest this side to her personality more frequently, because she... She comes off like she's got nothing to lose, and she's her personality is forward, and it's it's more interesting than the passive meek version, in my opinion. Right. Um, so Juno turns it around, steps right up to her, goes into intimidation mode, sniffs her all over, oh, man. determines that she has not slept with Lagoshi, and sort of like declares her intentions in the love game. Um, says, you know. Did you think I was going to eat you? I don't have to. I'll beat you woman to woman. So what we've set up here is a showdown for Lagoshi at this festival of the meteor, right? I, I I will just say as an aside, I feel like all of this happened in a very compressed way. I just felt like the the this sort of confrontation would have taken longer um, than we're being afforded time for it to. Well, Juno might be in heat, and it might be, you know, the perfect time to, like, nail that boy down. And then, kind of as an aside, this is when we find out Louis is missing. Yes, um, they they implied it earlier in the episode, as you, or earlier in the previous episode, as you said, someone is missing, right? Uh, but now they confirm that it's Louis who has not returned to the school, um, and that has left a leadership vacuum that Juno is filling with quickness um and we knew this was sort of blossoming because we saw her starting to uh become a cheerleader for everything involving the the various parts of the the drama club yeah she was she was asserting her um dominance or uh, right presence. but in a very feminine way in a very like supportive in a B stars uh, way, enthusiastic because she right. she seems to be gunning for the title. Yes, and uh, yeah, and Lagoshi and Haru are both sort of still reeling, so there's like this little bit of like there's this little opening for her to sort of jam herself in there between them. Yeah, I would I wouldn't call it an opening as much as she she creates her own reality. <laughs> I mean, 
they they really want nothing to do with her, and she just kind yeah, of waltzes yeah. right in. It's not like there was an opening for her to exploit. Like she's she is driving the narrative, quite literally. And I you know I wrote down when she shows up in her dress, like what is she wearing? And then she hatches this plot with Kai. Um, yeah, and it's interesting, it's, isn't it? The way that she manifests her like she basically fires the first shot in this battle. Uh, and I she mean, thinks most, it's a winning shot. That's the trick. people didn't think it was a battle. Like, nobody else was aware that this was even on the horizon. Um, she was. Well, yeah. She is uh, trying to create her own reality. One thing that I'm very curious is, what was the performance going to be like when, uh, before Louis vanished off the scene? Like, I feel like there should be a little more build-up to the fact that presumably Louis had a central role to play and then literally vanishes the day before the actual show is supposed to be well, presented. he's not in the dance squad. I don't know what it was going to be, but I do know that I, I assume that she wasn't supposed to have quite so different a costume as the other dancers on the stage um, that she makes herself stand out. But what did you think of her strategy? Was it a good strategy? She's sort of a politician here. She weaves Lagoshi's story into the fabric of this world and I got the feeling that he hated it. This sort of like, this is the nature of carnivores, and she refashions it as protectors. Lagoshi wants nothing to do with this, and not in the sense of like, he doesn't even seem annoyed by it. He's kind of bewildered by it. Like, it's it's happening, and he's like, I just don't have time to pay attention to whatever this is. I don't want to, this is not what I want to spend my time doing. Right, um, she sort it, of conjures this whole story and she, she makes him into the poster boy for this new narrative that she's pushing. And I have to which say... Which is different. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, neither of them... I mean, not that I expect Haru to have a response, but Lagoshi doesn't even really seem annoyed by her. It's just kind of like, it's just all happening around him so fast that he has no time to react. Right, and to, I wrote down that it's it takes him further from Haru. Like... Um, suddenly becoming this symbol of of this world that he has literally no interest in being part of. Uh, the whole B-Stars, the whole thing that the mayor was pushing. I think that it's interesting because when I think more about it, I think that this connects it to the sort of storyline that we were building to with the mayor and how he wanted to quietly uh, make sure that nobody found out what was going on with the Shishigumi. And that that's sort of like what the old guard are thinking to do. And as we've seen, Louis doesn't want... Louis wants to be a B-star who changes that storyline. We don't know how he wants to change it, but we know that he doesn't want to just swallow what they're serving. And now we see that Juno, who we've also... You also noted was in the running for B-star, or has put herself in the running, um, has a new narrative which is to embrace the the power of the carnivore, but recast them not as aggressors, but as protectors of the weak, sort of heroes. I, I guess I, I, thought, I, I glossed I thought that over was this. Well, I glossed over it because I was like, this can't be the first time this has occurred to somebody in this world, that instead of, <laughs> instead of aggressors, we would recast them as protectors. Like... Maybe each generation has to discover things anew for themselves. But, um, I mean, to me it was... I mean, I, too, 
in many ways was like I wanted to get over Juno's narrative and move back to uh, Lagoshi and Haru. <laughs> I, I was like, I who has time for the for Juno? Like, um, it was a it was a loose end that needed tying. <laughs> I saw it as a distraction. Um, I would like it more if if there was real romantic tension there because there's no reason there shouldn't be like juno is referred to as an attractive wolf she is the same species um as as lagoshi uh it's a pretty good match from the, from the perspective of things she's got the a type so personality he's got the b type personality so um if he had shown a little spark there then i feel like we would have been um, I feel like we could have that would have created more dramatic tension in the show than what I currently felt which is we're still trying to resolve that that dramatic tension between Haru and and uh, Lagoshi and uh, and in all fairness you know there's no reason why Lagoshi a red-blooded wolf wouldn't express a little interest in Juno and you know even if he wasn't paying attention to her like when she foists herself upon him and upon this idea like oh you know maybe he could uh he could respond a little bit to it and perhaps they didn't just because that that would be a lot of plot development in this one episode right um at this point she seems more like an obstacle than she does any kind of actual viable option yeah Um, agreed I would like to see her become, as you suggested, more of a viable option. Like, as things get more difficult, as Haru and Lagoshi really test society's tolerance for their relationship, um, I would like to see Juno present more of, like, what, more of something that is desirable. Like, uh, not just on a social level, but I'd like to see her personality sort of soften a little bit so that we kind of see um that there's some real feelings that have developed between them so that there's a little more tension perhaps yeah uh season two would be wise to push on that it does feel a little perfunctory at this point that she just is this obstacle that's in the way of their uh star-crossed romance what i what i had here is that she sucked all the oxygen out of the room Oof, that's a very good way of putting it um it's it comes at a good point though because uh Haru has made it clear that there is a possi- there 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 might be things that they can't get over uh between their natures and their relationship might be doomed to never work out because of these uh self-imposed obstacles or whatever you want to call them um but then we get this huge sweeping scene where Basically, Lagoshi just lays it all on the table, and um, and and they they sort of reach a point where he's laying out a map of the future. Is what I wrote down um, that that they do have that they will that they can that he's saying that they can be together. Um, he just has to be stronger, and he and he. And he's willing to make those changes in order to make her happy. Um, and in some ways, it feels like he's willing to change the world in order to make her happy. He he vows never to eat her. Because he loves her. Because he loves her. I was actually hanging on that. I was like, finish your sentence. Um, because I was really curious as to where they were going with it. 
and I hear my age shows because I'm like, well, don't, that's not the great way to make a vow. Like, don't promise something in the heat of, of romantic love because who knows how well that's going to last over time. Um, but, you know, I, I think I, it makes sense, but it's a little cliche. I will, you know, I'll never harm you because I love you kind of thing something your abuser will say and then later of course they'll abuse you um so i don't think that that's dark foreshadowing of any nature but it's lagoshi finally you know he's he's trying to profess everything you're right he's put all his cards on the table i do feel there's a fatalistic side to this um you're a wolf i'm a rabbit forever it's it can't be changed and his the the naive way that he declares his love it, there's some part of me that knows it's not going to work and that it's going to end in tragedy and maybe in the next life you know like dot 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 maybe in the next life star crossed like, lovers you say right um so we, we kind of get a coda to the episode. Juno lost this battle, but she has made friends and fans, and her power has increased in the absence of Louis. Uh, we finally see Else visit Thames Memorial. Uh, Jack a- a- like asks about Lagoshi's plan for the rest of the summer, and Lagoshi seems like a different person. He's, he's a little more chipper. Um, he seems... It seems like finally getting all that off his chest has lifted that weight from his shoulders as well. Yeah, I can't quite tell. He's, I guess he's a little less locked in his own, um, his own mental shell. That was the the echo chamber of his own thoughts are, are now, you know. He was a bit in the fog too. Absolutely. He was a bit in the fog and it seems to have cleared up a little bit. So at least he knows which direction he wants to go in. Which is to go get some watermelon with Jack. Yeah, watermelon. I like watermelon. That all seemed very sweet. And then, of course, we get to the final apocryphal scene. Yes, and I couldn't determine whether this is is suggestive that Louis is returning to school. Because it's presented in a way where Lagoshi... It takes place sometime later, obviously. Um... But Lagoshi doesn't seem that surprised to see the person coming out uh, of the bathroom uh, who had just taken pills or perhaps some chiclets. <laughs> but someone noted online that the medicine that Louis was taking for his broken leg is the same as the medicine that it, the, the, the packet, uh, the empty packet that is thrown away in the garbage in that scene. And so... Um, Lagoshi notes that there's something wrong about Louis smiling like that. Like, he seems to be slightly taken aback by a, what I would guess is a sort of deranged smile. Yeah, it, when there was also a little weird because Lagoshi said, oh, you know, let's hurry. And then definitively does not hurry when leading on this unnamed character. And I I thought it was very odd that you would say, oh, let's... Let's move on the double, and then literally is strolling in front of this this unnamed person. It's also 
odd that we see it from this person's perspective as opposed from um, Louis's perspective or Haru's perspective. We're often, you know, we're usually in the head of one of those three characters. I suppose that would lend credence to the fact that it's Louis. Um, but it, it's a very odd sort of return of Louis, if that's the case. I thought if it's not Louis, um, if it's not Louis, like, why are we seeing it? Because if it's not Louis, then this is a nod perhaps to something that happened in the manga. Um, and it's meant as a little nod to the manga fans about like some fan favorite joining the series or some reveal. Uh, and then I thought, could it be the killer? Uh, the the writing that appears at after that looks yeah. like... Uh, you. The, I'm, I'm sorry to interject, but you totally brought up a point. We started this whole series with the gruesome murder, and we end it having not at all resolved that issue in the slightest. I have my theories about who is the murderer based on what I would write, um, and given the, the, the types of characters we've been introduced to so far. Um, and to me, the murderer seems obvious, but... I can't say it because if I say it and it's right, I feel like I'm depriving people of something. Uh, do you feel that as well? To the extent that that is um, a resolved tension in the future, I don't know. It's it's sort of delicious if you're right, um, but I can't tell if it's a spoiler. You haven't... I don't know how far you've read. I have not read past um, what we've seen, and I haven't read up to what we've seen. I've read, I think, three or four books, which is only up to episode five or six, so... Huh. I, I think then you're well within your rights to hazard a guess. Oh, I can't, certainly... I can't, I can't. I don't want to ruin it for you either, because I am often right about these things, unfortunately. I think it'll be okay. <laughs> um, any other final thoughts on this season of the cherry of uh, not Cherryton School Report of B Stars, um, I I I was glad you threw threw us back to the the unresolved murder because if I had just watched five minutes of the show, I would have assumed that would take a uh, <laughs> a greater impact than it actually did. Um, uh, I I. If there was a character I would like to see a side episode on, it might be Gohin. Um, I thought he was a very interesting, interesting party who seemed to have um, a, a colorful background. It might be interesting to know more about him. Agreed. And uh, if he's still alive, <laughs> I, I'm. I think the evidence points to yes, but it is super weird that no one's around at the end. It's like there's a bunch of tied up lions, and that's it. And, of course, they're not all tied up because there's still two left to capture Louis. Right, maybe they went around and untied some people. I don't know. The world is pretty crazy at the moment, and I just want to thank everyone for choosing to spend their time with us enjoying this crazy show. Very grateful to all of you, and especially our patrons and those participating in the discussion at our Discord and through Twitter. We love you, seriously. Don, parting words for the audience. Stiff upper lip, lads.
<laughs> all right that's a wrap oh, yeah on... you're not gonna have any parting words i mean you got all the the nice stuff and i had to give the flippant response and that's a wrap on this season of the Charrington School Report. We will hopefully be back for season two whenever it makes its way here. In the meantime, you can check out my previous podcast, A Cruel Angels Podcast, an Evangelion rewatch that I hosted with pal Dustin Furman of HandsomePhantom.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Stew of Boo to get the latest updates on not only when we'll be back for Cherryton, but what we might be cooking up next. I guarantee you'll want to check back. Hit me up in the DMs for the invite. DMs means direct messages, not Don Munson's. <laughs> oh, God. For the invite to our Discord and join our discussion. Thank you all so much for listening. And if you want to support this show and others like it made by a diverse community of smaller creators and marginalized voices, please consider donating to our network Patreon, patreon.com slash the orange groves, where you can access exclusive content from this and other amazing podcasts, including extras and things we cut from the show until next season. We'll be waiting. Don, you got to say the line. Uh, they're great. That's not the line. What? <laughs> Every episode, what do I say at the end? Um, I forget. Beast. Oh. No. But I I keep missing this up because I'm going to say something in my head. Like, be a star. But that's not what you say. What do you say? You say... Oh, my God. You've not been... You've been sleepwalking through this whole season. I am sleepwalking through life, my friend. Beast off. Oh God, no! Yeah, that's why I Wait, block it out. I it. block it out. You should be the one saying it. Fine, I said it.